0: From First Family Church in Ankeny, Iowa, you're listening to a message from the series Traction, Getting Past Your Past. For more information and messages, visit our website at firstfamily.church. Well, one of the things that you have to adjust to if you live in Iowa and you like to jog is running in the cold, I haven't made that adjustment yet. I don't like to say I'm a runner because I think I just kind of walk extra fast, It's kind of what I really do, but I do like to go outdoors and um, get a few miles under my feet on a regular basis. It's just a good way of therapy, I like to think, um, it's a great time to pray, and it's a great time to kind of be alone and you listen to messages as I do and you just, it's good for your sanctification, it's kind of a thing you can do. and. I've never, though, gotten used to doing that in the cold. In fact, I've got to have it at least 50 degrees to go running. But I've seen some of you. I'm looking at you right now. Some of you, you get out there like it's in zero. I've seen some of you with those shoes that have the spikes, and you're running after a snowfall or an ice storm. You're just out there jogging away. I, I admire that. You've adjusted well, right, to something that we have to learn to do in Iowa. If you're going to jog outdoors, you've got to do it in the cold. Thankfully for guys like me, there's treadmills. Amen. They are quite amazing these days. Let me show you a couple of pictures here. On the left is one of the more basic treadmills from years past. And basically, if you didn't bring your own entertainment, plug in some headphones, some music, you kind of just jog to the rhythm of the machine, the mat that revolves under your feet, you know, you're just kind of jog, set your pace, jog to that rhythm but nowadays, you can go and you can find treadmills where you can watch TV live, you can listen to your stations, you can listen to their stations that are online, you can, uh, in fact, you can actually choose certain paths, and they'll make you think, at least they think they're making you think, you're jogging, you know, some in some foreign country. You just watch the road, and you're just kind of, and you're not even leaving the gym. You're just on a treadmill, Right? So so what if I told you one day, I said, You know, Steve Cooper, I, I jogged along a road in Paris today. Or I said to Chad, Chad, I jogged the safari in Africa. <laughs> or I looked at Kate or Dave and I said, Hey, I, I jogged down the narrow corridor like roads in Italy and France. Or I said, Josh, I hit the outback in Australia, took a jog there this week. At some point, you would say, no, Todd, you actually didn't. You're lying. You're just living life through a screen. You're actually on the treadmill. You're just repeating the same thing mile after mile. You're not really making any progress in going to different places. That would be humorous, to say the least. You know, I think in some ways... That's often our spiritual experience. We seem at times content to see on a screen how we know it ought to be. And we vicariously live a life of either victory or satisfaction or joy. Kind of this ideal like, that. that's the life where my mind is set on Christ and the heavenly leads That's how it ought to be, but really we're not there. We're just on this treadmill of repeating old patterns and old habits... And the mat that's revolving under our feet are just old sins that we can never get out of. And we know how it ought to be because we're looking at the screen of someone's life or, a, or the word of God or a message. Or a, and we think, that's what I wish I had, but I just can't seem to get there. And sometimes we even speak in words that say, yeah, I'm there. But the truth is, we've never really left the building, have we? And we're just trotting day after day, week after week, with the same old sins besetting us, the same old habits just dogging us. I think this is one of the reasons that many people are stuck because they're on the treadmill of old habits. And they know how it ought to be and how they wish it was, but they just can't seem to get off that treadmill. Can we talk about that this week? Let's do so by looking at Colossians chapter 3. Namely, verses 5 to 17. My goal this morning is to help you see that there is a better way to live than just on the treadmill of old habits of simply battling your way through life by constantly saying no to things that just pop up again later and you try to white-knuckle your way through them only to find that that same mat underneath your feet comes around in a few rotations and you're there again. You're well-intentioned, but your experience never changes. You have old habits that just don't seem to die. You're in their grip, and you have no traction out of your past. What is that person to do? How do they actually find traction? I think there are some key principles in this passage that will help us to that end. In this text, verses 5 to 17, we have essentially two lists. And I'm not real fond of that word, okay? But it's the best way to describe the the overview here. We're going to see two lists. One is a list of things to put off, all right? I'll call this, refer to this as the undressing of old habits, We're to put some things off. We're to shed them. I refer to this and kind of see this as kind of the treadmill that many people are on. They want to shed these habits, but they just keep reoccurring. They just keep repeating. And sometimes you find some short-term victory, maybe some in-the-moment success, where it's under your feet, so to speak. You're holding on. But then it just kind of comes right back under. You're like, man, how do I get away from this? How do I get off this treadmill? That's the first list, things we should put to death. We'll look at it in a moment. And the second list really is is a list of things we're to put on. I would say this is the dressing of the Christian. You could use the word adorning. But as we unpack this section in a little bit, you'll see this is really not a treadmill type of list. This is more of a treasure type of And I use the word list. I don't like that in that concept. But really, we're opening a treasure here. It's the treasure of Christ. And so what you have in contrast here, verses 5 to 11, in contrast with verses 12 through 17, is really a list of things we're to put off compared to a treasure that we're to put on. Old habits that must die, and how do they die? By the new habits we're to put on. How does all that work together? What enables that process to occur? This is what the passage will unfold for us. And I hope this morning you will trade in your treadmill for the treasure of Christ. Shall we look at these verses? Verse 5 of Colossians 3. Let me read this for you. In fact, here's what you're going to see kind of unfold from these verses. I'll just show it to you ahead of time. Here's our take-home truth. I want to kind of show this to you in advance so you can kind of see how it uh, becomes crystal clear as we move through the text. Here's really what we're going to see today that shedding the clothes of and saying no to old fleshly habits is only sustained by dressing in the garments of Christ. Namely, three things, three aspects of this garment, three types of garment His work, His body, and His word. Let's see that unfold for us. Verse 5 says this in Colossians 3, Put to death, therefore, some translations say mortify. We could say in 2018, kill, therefore, what is earthly in you. And he lists these, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. Which is idolatry? There's kind of the overall grouping of these sins he just listed. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Now, understand in that phrase, here's what he's saying. Listen very carefully. He's saying you used to live in these all the time. This was your way of life. This was your constant practice, but you've put these off. That's good news. In other words, they are now believers But this idea of putting them all away, it seems like they're having this perhaps revisiting. They're kind of reoccurring still at times. There's this treadmill effect happening. We're done with those from Christ's perspective, yes, but they just keep reoccurring in our life. They keep repeating. What's up with that? And so you kind of get this tension going on. He says, you must put them all away. That's not how you should walk. That's not who you actually are. And he lists some other sins now to include with them. Look at verse 8, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices. So in in Paul's mind, he's saying, you've put these off, you you used to live in them, and yet he's calling them to put them away. Do you kind of feel the tension now? Do you sense the the angst of this? We are not like this, we don't live in them, and yet at times we find that they keep popping up. Now, some have looked at this list of sins. There's two kind of categories here. As one is sexual sin. One is non-sexual sin. Others have said there's sins of the body and then sins of the mouth. Can I tell you how I see these sins, these two categories? Look back at chapter 2, verse 23. I think what Paul does in chapter 3 Verses 5 through about 9, I think he actually lists for us what he refers to in chapter 2 verse 23 as the indulgences of the flesh. Do you see that in your Bibles? I think he's now taking greater aim at specifying what is it that man-made thought, asceticism, severity of the body, you find that listed in 20, 21, 22. All these regulations don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. All these things that are based on human precepts and teachings, they, have an indeed, they indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion, asceticism. He says, but they have no value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh. What are those things? I think that's what these are. They're fleshly indulgences that, that if you only depend on man-made religion, if you only depend on human wisdom and what he would call earthly orientation, earthly thinking... You know what? You may find some short-term victory, some in-the-moment success. You may think, oh, the treadmill's getting me there. But it's actually not. You're just seeing your Christian life on a screen. You know what it ought to be, but you never really get there. Because man-made thought, earthly orientation, thinking with, with only human reasoning, man, it, it, it will not actually change the heart. It won't stop the flesh's indulgences, and that's what these are. It won't change the way you act sexually. It won't change the way you talk verbally. It may in the moment give you a small reprieve, but it will not change the the real foundational you and bring about lasting, long-term transformation. What does then? Well, beginning in verse 10, he kind of builds a bridge to the treasure. He moves from the treadmill to the treasure. Look at verse 10. He says, you've put off the old self, in verse 9, with its practices, and you have put on the new self. So we've seen the undressing. Here's the dressing now. And this new self, watch this. It's being renewed. I love that phrase. It's in this constant kind of tense, isn't it? There's this ongoing process of being renewed. The idea of renewed means something old is gradually leaving. Something new is, is coming and replacing it. It reminds us of 2 Corinthians five seventeen that when we're in Christ, the, the old is gone, the new has come. Paul here is saying, yes, there's a renewal taking place in the life of believers. It's in knowledge after the image of its creator. So really, we're being renewed. Our new self is gradually being kind of dressed on us, and it's the new self of life with Christ. After all, in the first few verses, he said this is where our real life is, right? It's hidden with Christ in God. That's why we can and should put our minds on heavenly things because our actual self is being renewed after Christ. So this is why we can put off these fleshly indulgences and we can put on God's garments because he's actually renewing us. He's the one doing the dressing. And when we begin to think in these terms, when we think in terms of heavenly clothes, so to speak, look at verse 11. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, or slave, or free. What are all those? Those are all earthly titles, aren't they? Those are all horizontal ways to look at people. Where you're employed, where you're not employed, your ethnicity, your race. But in Christ, you know what? He says that's not how we look at people. We look at people as in Christ because Christ is all and in all. Notice that? So then he says in verse 12, since Christ is the one who's driving all of the change, since he forms all of our identity, since everything is about being in Christ, put on then verse 12 says, and this is next phrase, as God's chosen ones. We're not the earth's chosen ones. We are God's chosen ones. We're holy and beloved. He says put on compassionate hearts. And now he begins to show opposite traits of the list between verses five and nine. In fact, I would ask you to think about two words here. Verses five to nine earlier really are about works of the flesh. They're the practices of sins. But in beginning of verse 12, I think he's talking about the pursuit of a singular relationship. And so you can kind of, again, see some contrast here. One's this this life of just kind of repeating sins, reoccurring habits that just continually dog us. And yet he's now describing the pursuit of a singular relationship where Christ is all and in all. Now watch this, church. Listen, I can sense in the room. I can see it in my heart. You're already thinking, yeah, that's that's the way it ought to be, Todd. That's the screen on the treadmill. That's how I want to live That's the road in Paris, the safari in Africa, the outback in Australia, the New York City Marathon, the Boston. That's why I want to say I've run those, (laughs) but I never have thought I'd just see it on the screen. Really, my life is more like five to nine. I'm just treadmilling over patterns that never seem to go away, and I can't get out of that rut. I'm just stuck. Some of you are thinking, man, i got more in common with five to nine than I do 12 to 17. This is the tension within these verses. We are God's chosen ones. We're holy. We're beloved. And so we should be pursuing a singular, intimate relationship with Christ. And that's what he begins to describe here. He's going to tell us how. Don't worry. But let me just kind of get through the verses here. He says, when that is our aim, we see Christ is all in and all. When we're not worried about earthly tags and labels, then we get dressed with these things. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, Patience, bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you so you also must forgive well isn't that an incredible list that contrasts with the previous one in the first one it's about passion, impurity, immorality covetousness in other words the center of that circle is you but if you go to verse 12, the center of that circle is someone else. What a contrast. He says in verse 14, And above all these, put on love. So here's the overcoat on the top of all of our Christian clothes, right? We just drape ourselves with this overarching coat of love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. You make it even see it as this belt of love. I mean, it holds everything together and holds everything up. Our clothes aren't falling off when you got the belt of love, right? He says, this is so important. It binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And that can happen when love is the overarching coat we're wearing. Then the peace of Christ rules in our hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. What an emphatic statement that he says we were actually called to peace in the body. That should characterize the relationships of those who are in the family of God. Peace. And how is that accomplished? Because we are forgiving each other. We're forbearing with each other. And I love the sense of these verses. He's not saying that it's always, uh, you know, ice cream and toppings and, and dessert. It's not a bed of roses. He's saying there are times that you have complaints. There are times you have to kind of just put up with each other. You're forbearing But in the end of that, you are forgiving. This is how the peace of Christ rules in our hearts. And after all, this is what the body is called to. And so be thankful. Then he says in verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. This is exactly opposite of what he says they were doing. They were appealing in chapter 2 to human rules, man-made precepts. They were thinking with an earthly orientation. And Paul says those really have no way to stop what's really driving all of your fleshly indulgences. But the word of Christ can. It can teach you and admonish you in all wisdom. So you see the replacement happening here? The renewal? Earthly human thinking is being replaced by heavenly biblical thinking. And as that occurs, old habits die And new habits are formed. The old is being shed. The new is being put on. And I think the capstone command here is in verse 16. To let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. It's kind of the final one in this list. Because it teaches us. It admonishes us in wisdom. We're to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We'll be thankful in our hearts to the Lord. And then he kind of says, and so whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Isn't that amazing? He's talked about Christ in these verses so clearly and so emphatically, so unashamedly. And he sums it up by saying, so whatever you're doing, if you're forbearing, forgiving, if you're seeking peace, if you're being compassionate if you're singing if you're teaching if you're admonishing everything we should do as a body should be done in the name of the lord jesus there's nothing hidden or secret is there he's not saying don't let your culture know really why you do what you do he's not saying that he's asking the church here to embrace a strong identity that's rooted in the name of the lord jesus and as we do this we give thanks to god the father through him That's a completely different set of clothes than the first list, isn't it? You see why we're to put that on now? That's a lifestyle that that Christ um, is is renewing us towards. He's shedding off the clothes of the old life. He's dressing us with His garments. And yet, as I describe this, as I read this, I know what many of you are thinking. You're thinking, man, that's that's only a life i've seen on the screen of the treadmill i thought i've i've not known that it seems like i battled these habits of 5 to 9 week in week out year in year out and i i know very little of 12 to 17 it's you that I hope this scripture will help this morning because it speaks of the replacement and the renewal, what I would say, the traction God will give as we stop living just with the no's in mind, which is what I consider to be the treadmill, and start living with the yeses in mind. Let me explain what I mean for a minute. If I were to contrast these two lists, and by the way, I think they're both necessary. The put off is a command. Would you agree? We can't just forget that. But I think often what we've done is we've assumed that the putting off is actually the extent of how we actually make traction. And so we end up as naked Christians. And we feel embarrassed, a little ashamed, like, well... And, and, and God never intended for you just to be a Christian full of no's. He never intended your life to be regulated only by a bunch of rules that regulate and that you know, require, that the do not taste, do not touch, do not handle. That wasn't his intent. There are things we're to stop doing. There are things we're to shed and put off. Yes. But we're also being renewed. There are things to put on. And I would contend to you this passage in the way it's written with the therefores and the thens and the order says... It's the yeses, it's the putting on that drives the putting off. It's the yeses that drive the nose. And many of you, you're not making traction, you're not making significant observable progress, and you're what? Why? Because you live only on the nose. And you've got a very orderly, it looks like, moral life. But your heart is ravaged with indulgences of the flesh, and you are just hoping you can for one more day hold on to that treadmill long enough to where it'll go under your feet and you can get a few more miles. Meanwhile, you watch that screen you think, man, if I could just jog in Paris, if I could just run in Africa, if I could get a few miles in Italy. And it seems like a pipe dream to you, doesn't it? Here's why I think that is the case because you focused only on putting off and you've you've missed that what follows putting off is putting on. And it's not, watch this church, we'll get to this in a minute, it's not that we're putting on another list, we're putting on a person. You see, when God saves us, he takes away the practices of sins and he replaces it with the pursuit of a relationship. That's just compellingly beautiful. That's what, transformation, is. that's the renewal, that's the replacing happening. And I think one of the things we have to wrestle with and come to grips with is that this passage goes together. Paul is saying there are some no's, there are some things to put off, but those are only sustained as we put on Christ. Let me just illustrate quite plainly with you why I think this is the, the driving force of this text. It would be, very similar, if I were to ask you, why do you get dressed for work? You'd say, well, I'm not going to go to work naked, and I'm not going to wear what I wear to bed to work. In other words, the, the reason you get undressed in the morning is so you can get dressed, right? you, you got things to do, places to go. It's kind of a, kind of a bare-bones illustration, no pun intended, right? But the truth is, you don't just... Get undressed for the sake of getting undressed. You have a goal in mind. You want to actually get dressed. You don't walk around all day with no clothes on. It's almost that plain and simple to me. We're not undressing the old habits and practices just so we can walk around spiritually naked. That's ludicrous. We actually are getting undressed. We're shedding old habits so that we can put on the clothes that actually matter. There are new garments to wear. I don't want to wear the clothes in the day that I had on at night. (laughs) And God here is saying, yes, there are some things to put off. There are some things to say no to, by all means. But those no's, if they're not driven by the greater yes and replaced with the greater yes, they only leave you just naked. And you realize, wow, I've gotten rid of a lot of stuff, but... My heart's not changed. It's much like the parable Jesus told. When he said the man cleaned his house from top to bottom, he looked around and said, man, my house is clean, but he didn't fill it with good things. And what happened? A few days later, all the bad things came right back and took charge of the clean house again. You see, there's replacement and renewal that matters, and it's driven by and fueled by the yes of a relationship with Christ. Let me kind of show you quickly how this looks in a diagram form. I thought I wouldn't have any more, but this came to me late in the week. And it's real simple. I taught this to our kids. I don't know if our girls remember it. I know I taught this to Brett um, a few times. Uh, The girls may have gotten it from Julie. I don't know. This has helped our family. It's helped me a, a lot. That this is really a lot of how life works. And you can deny it. You can say you don't like it. You can say, no, that's not us. But the truth is this is how life works. There are a lot of things you've got to say no to. Would you agree with that? There are. And we told our kids for years that as they enter into right about puberty and moving forward, that this is just the way life is. You're going to have a ton of temptation moving forward and you'd better get used to saying no. Now that can sound pretty negative, can't it? Like, man, you just kind of driving your kids with a with a ball and chain and a whip, right? No, no, no. Because what's underneath all of the no's, and we taught them this, and this is just really helps me personally. What's underneath and enables all of the no's, you're going to have to learn how to say, is really the deep, singular yes of a relationship with Christ. And see, what many people do is they try to live without the yes. And their life is just a, a collection of no's. You know what? That would wear anybody out. No one can man that treadmill forever. But when the no's, you have to say the first list, when those are empowered by a deep and compelling yes to something in this passage, a a relationship with Christ who is all and in all, then suddenly the no's take their proper place. They're secondary. Yes, there are times we say them, we've got to embrace them. Discipline's part of growing up. It's part of existing. We all have to exercise it. But how do you acquire it? Through a deep, compelling yes. And what many people who don't have traction are missing, what many people who are stuck in the treadmill of old habits are missing, is the yes. And I contend the yes is verses 12 to 17, the beautiful, compelling relationship with Christ where he dresses us in his righteousness he clothes us with his traits and he purges the works of darkness from us and he gives us his garments, his fruit, his traits. So when you see that diagram, when you think about this text, when you consider the treadmill versus treasure, I think the big question we ask is this. Okay, how in the world does that happen? What does it take to see old habits die and new habits formed? How do I get off the treadmill and away from thinking I've run somewhere because I saw it on a screen when I really have never left the building? (laughs) And how can I actually experience, not vicariously, but in real life, how can I really uh, experience a, a relationship with Christ where these things are the clothes that I'm wearing? Let me see if I can answer that question in the time we have left. This has been astounding to me this week. As you, you know how this works, right? Preaching. We chew and digest and work all week and more than one week on things and we bring to you and we've been under the weight of it. This has been an astounding um, realization of the last probably eight to nine days. And I'm not saying it's something I didn't know, but I would say it's something I didn't fully understand. This will, this will be so simple you'll think, man, how did I miss that? So what's happening in this moment is this. Have you ever seen those pictures where you're told to stare at something? It looks like a bunch of letters or words or numbers, and you're like, what in the world does that say? And they're telling you it's a real clear picture, and just stare at it for a while. So you stare at it, you stare at it, and then suddenly it comes into focus. and You're like, how did I miss that? You ever had that moment? We're getting there. Because you're probably thinking, Todd, this idea of the treadmill and the treasure and the like I get that, I think it's true, but I don't understand how it works. Just stay focused on the text. You're going to minute and say, "Man, how have I missed that?" That's where I've been, and it's just really blessed my life. I felt God has really given me some good traction the last few days, just in thinking about this simple understanding of what it means to think in a heavenly way. Here's how this transformation happened. Here's how old habits die. And here's how those are replaced and renewed with new habits. Here's how the works are purged, the works of sin, and the traits the fruit of Christ has formed in us. Look what he does. He says in the beginning of verse 12 that it's really all about Christ. Do you see that? Actually, the end of verse 11, but it's all about Christ. So he doesn't give us another list. He doesn't replace a list with a list. He purges the old sins with a relationship. That's the first thing. But he does actually say Specific things about the relationship that we need to focus on. Notice what he does. Verse 13. He says, as the Lord has forgiven you. So he first of all references Christ's work. Do you see that? By by name, he says, as the Lord's forgiven you. Then in verse 15, he talks about the peace of Christ in his one body. So he mentions the work of Christ, first of all, in verse 13. He mentions the body of Christ in verse 15. And then in verse 16, he talks about the word of Christ. Do you see that? You ought to circle all those phrases. I think he sums all of them up at the end by talking about the name of Christ. So in this set of verses, I think he's saying this. When you want to set your mind on heavenly things, when you want to really have an eternal orientation about your life and know what it means to really be in Christ, there are three things that should occupy your attention. Listen very carefully. Christ's work on the cross, Christ's body on the earth, and then Christ's word to his people. Let me put it to you in just really shoe-leather terms. The cross, the church, and the Bible. So I just kept examining this. I kept looking at this. And by the way, all those things would probably be summed up with like, man, if if we're doing that, we're doing it in the name of Christ. It's his body, it's his word, it's his cross, right? So that's kind of a summation. So as I kept looking at these three things that Paul weaves in these verses, here's what he's saying. Fixing your mind on what's eternal, which goes back to the first few verses, right? Setting your mind on heavenly things. Having a heavenly orientation is actually letting three things, three aspects of Christ dominate your mind. The cross, the church, the church, And God's word. Listen very carefully with both ears. If you will let those three things occupy your attention, time, you can't stop the growth that God will do in you. And as a caring but blunt pastor, this explains to me why so many people never get traction. Because their mind is so occupied with everything but what Christ did on the cross, his church, and his word. And this is going to sting. But it's important that we're just blatantly honest this morning. Some of you are stuck. And you do find that your life resembles more 5 to 9, those verses, than it does 12 to 17. You know why? Because you think about Christ and his work for you and his church on this earth and his word to you maybe once or twice a week. You rarely open your Bible. You bring it with you. You might read it in the service, but it's closed till next Sunday. I told you this would sting a little bit, but I have deep love for you. And a shepherd here, it is important that you think through and process what is putting you in the ruts you're in, spiritually. Why do you keep spinning your wheels? Why are you on this treadmill? It's because the three things that in these verses, Paul clearly says, are aspects of Christ that should garner our attention. You've given no thought to. Your mind is so earthly bound so physically, carnally rooted that you, the old habits find an easier place to land than the new traits or fruit of Christ. Can we just for a second review these again? He says in verse 13, we're to forgive each other after we've been bearing with each other We're to live with compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. All these things are the ways we're to live. And he roots this in this phrase, as the Lord has forgiven you. A direct reference to what Christ has done for us on the cross. So so church, listen very carefully to something we say here a lot. But it's not just words. We are gospel-centered and we're tethered to the apex of history when Christ died and paid once and for all. For your sin, yes, the sins listed in 5 through 9. He empowered you in that moment. He forgave you in that moment to put those away, to put them to death. So why is it important to rehearse and review and remember the cross of Christ where the Lord forgave us? Because that is the fuel for every bit of the battle we're engaged in. And if it never crosses your mind to meditate on Calvary, if the cross doesn't bring a lump to your throat, if the day that God saved you and considered you righteous and absorbed all of your sin and gave you all of his righteousness, if that day still doesn't cause you to, to get a little tearied in your eyes and to feel some right kind of goosebumps. <laughs> If something isn't inside your heart moving you to praise and worship, when you think about the day God saved you, listen, something's wrong, church. We have different expressions of that, admittedly. Some are more emotional, some are less. I'm not trying to argue that there's a certain method. I'm just saying, if you're in your chair right now thinking, oh, the cross hasn't really moved me, the problem's not with the cross. Every bit of our action, he says, is rooted in the fact that God has forgiven us And healthy Christians, Christians who get traction, are Christians who visit Calvary daily. They're reminded when they're arguing with their spouse, and they want to bear down about how they're right. And they feel the distance growing. They're reminded suddenly, you know, this isn't isn't going well. And they think about the cross and God's work in their life, and then they they just make an appeal for unity. Can, Can we figure this out? I don't want to be at odds with you. What what motivates that when everything in your flesh wants to drive home the I'm right stake, It's the cross of Christ. Guys, the cross is not just, I mean, the gospel isn't just the ABCs that we've heard people say. The gospel is the A to Z. Everything is tethered to Christ's finished work for you. So every day, meditate on God's forgiveness of you. It's a very healthy thing to do. He next says that this thing about the church called to peace, you know, which is really the outflowing of a forgiving lifestyle, that then there's peace in the body, which I think is comforting because if you have peace, that means at one point you didn't have peace. In it. That's the church, isn't it? <laughs> Can we just admit that? I and mean, there are times there's not a lot of peace, and you've got to sit together, you've got to forbear and forgive and work it out, and then you find peace. How is all that possible? Because Christ has forgiven us, so we extend that. I find what he does here is he prioritizes the church's relationships. He's saying, work hard at living in peace. And can I just be even more blunt with you? Some of you do not prioritize the church's relationships. You don't work hard at peace. As the scriptures say, we should, if at all possible, live at peace with people. Strive for unity. Now there may be many reasons for that, but can I just share with you what I think is one reason? And this is what you might call an unintended consequence. And I'll probably get stung for this later. But I'm up for that right now. I think we have at times not worked hard at the church's relationships because we don't take the time to prioritize the church. You're not really around those relationships that much. You hear a call for small groups and many of us think, well, I don't have time for that. Yet we have time for a thousand other hobbies and clubs and habits. Now, just think with me through this. Don't be surprised if your church's relationships suffer if you never make time for them. And oftentimes we'll point the finger. Well, they don't reach out to me. They didn't initiate. No one called me when I was gone for five weeks. Where were you gone? Well, I had ball games every week. So so we're kind of to track your baseball schedule, your soccer schedule, your dance class schedule. We're to kind of know all that and just, here's my point, church. We, We move the church's relationship to such a low degree, and then we wonder why we're not connecting. That's a blame game. Watch out for it. Instead, I think we've got to start thinking, how do we prioritize these relationships so that we are in tangible contact in such a way that we can work hard at peace and we can do this thing called church? So it's not just a time thing. It's also a a priority thing in our minds. But here's what I'm saying. He's just saying that Christ's body really matters. We should work hard at those relationships and then he talks about the word of Christ here next. Letting it dwell in us. The word dwell there means to reside. He's not stopping by for coffee. He's not passing through. He's asking that the word of Christ be given a room and a set up shop. This is not even a guest for a year. This is not like some foreign exchange student. Oh, the word of Christ is moving in for a year. We can make do. He's saying, I'm moving in. That's what the word dwell means. Now, now here's what I want to share with you just for a moment, and then we've got to wrap this up. I think this is kind of the capstone um, command, the, the last aspect in this way, because it's when the Word of Christ comes in that really transformation begins to happen. We're prioritizing His body, we're remembering His work, and we're just soaking in His Word, we're dwelling in it, meditating it, memorizing it, As that word begins to do its work, we're transformed. The old is out, the new comes. You say, well, how can you make that promise, Todd? Because that's the promise God made. In fact, let me just share with you what I think is an amazing truth at Isaiah 55. You've probably heard this word, and preachers use it all the time, that God's word won't return void. Isaiah said it will accomplish that for which God sent it, right? Have you ever asked yourself, What's the purpose that God sent his word then? Well, if you read that passage, it says this that the word of God is like rain on the earth. And when it rains on the earth, things get nourished and they grow. But in Isaiah 55, what you find is this amazing counterintuitive realization that when God's word, like rain, falls on us and nourishes us, we don't just grow, we actually change. Because he says in Isaiah 55, that when God's word comes and nourishes, the thorny bush will become a, a crate or a myrtle tree. Now that's odd because if I'm thinking, well, when rain comes, it'll grow. The thorny, the thorny bush just gets to be a bigger thorny bush, right? Like that's growth, but it's still a thorny bush. But God's word does the opposite. God's word says, "I'll take the thorny bush and I'll change it." That's, that's amazing, guys. So God takes the sexually indulgent person, the covetous person, the impure person, the idolater, the anger, the wrath, the slander, and he says, you know what, I'll change that to the humble, compassionate, kind, meek, patient person. You don't just get more of the same, you get a different something. That's why the word of Christ must dwell in us, because as it does It doesn't just grow us, it actually transforms us. Something in you changes. You're not what you used to be. And the reason some of you are not changing, you're not any different, is because the Word of God, the Word of Christ, is a guest in your life. Now, I've been painfully blatant with you this morning. I think you would agree with that about your mindset regarding the three things in these verses. Christ's work on the cross, the gospel. Christ's body on the earth, the church. And Christ's word, the Bible. My contention is, or my aim is that that's the point of these verses. That as you focus on that, your life will change. And if your life isn't changing, then that just shows us we're earthly-minded. We're not really obeying verses 1 through 4. We're not focused on the heavenlies. So, So here's what I'm asking you to do this week. If you want to make some traction, if you want to see some real growth, if you want to get off the treadmill, away from watching the screen of what you know it ought to be, and you want to actually experience spiritual satisfaction and joy in Christ... And see him transform and renew and replace. I want you to make three things the focus of your attention this week the cross, visit it daily, tether your life to it, the church. I don't just mean the building, and not only necessarily mean just this gathering. Yes, this family for sure prioritized those relationships, but I just mean God's work in the world through his body. It is the agent by which he is proclaiming the gospel to all nations. The church is a big deal. It's the body of Christ and then his word. And I'll make you a guarantee, backed by the full authority of Almighty God's word, you give those three things your attention You fix your mind on heavenly things, which that may be the things he's talking about when he talks about where Christ is. Maybe it's those three things. But you put your mind and you set and seek those three things and your life will change. I may not know all the ways it'll change, but I'll guarantee you this. God will take away the old as you put it off and he'll dress you with his clothes. And you'll be a new person. Would you pray with me, please? We hope you enjoyed today's sermon. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons. Thanks for listening.